This is recording number 10980 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 1, 2012. This is the seventh and final message in the series titled, Unleashing the Power of Family. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Fiscal Fitness for Your Family. Mark chapter 12, and uh, we're going to conclude today uh, the series of messages that we've been engaged in uh, prior to Easter on family themes, and um, we've talked about uh, a lot of uh, things concerning family life because we believe that God meant for family to be a source of great, uh, the dispensing and the distribution of great uh, power that he meant for us to be impacted, changed, developed, secured, um, encouraged, guided out of that powerful uh, network of family that each one of us is engaged in or part of. Um, You know, sin has ruined nearly everything, including uh, family. And so there is the residue of sin that has corrupted lots of what God meant for family to be to us, but it is not beyond the scope of his redemptive power. So we've been looking at the scriptures to see what God has to say about things like how to make a marriage last. We, last week we talked about nurturing romance in marriage. We talked about being a single adult, single parent. We've talked about some aspects of uh, parenting the, in the first decade of a child's life. The second de- decade of a child's life, we talked about how we can... Uh, begin to see our homes as embassies of the kingdom of God. A number of issues related to family life. And we're going to conclude today by talking about finances. Fiscal fitness for your family is the name of this or the title of this message. And the subtitle is how to enjoy a godly prosperity in your home. All of us deal with money. Every single day. And it would be silly for us to imagine that God doesn't have some things to say about that. And in fact, the Bible has a lot to say about that. Now, God is not as preoccupied with money as some television preachers, but he has a lot to say about it because he cares about us. Now, because there's so much that the Bible says about it and because there are so many things that we are dealing with in life concerning money, how how we earn it, how we manage it, you know, investments and blah, there's just on and on. It's, there's no way that I can cover everything, uh, every subject that the Bible addresses in terms of finances. So what I'm going to do today is talk about the one thing that to me matters above everything else. That has to do with tithing or giving. And so you may even be wondering of what that means, that word tithing. And we're going to uh, uh, talk about that a little bit today. I want to try to kind of clarify some of the termino- religious terminology that has wrapped itself around these concepts. And I'm going to ask you to join with me in pursuit of a liberating truth. Whether you're a family of one person or much more than that, the one thing that I can tell you that will make the most difference in your 
financial life is to give God what belongs to him and to trust him with your resources, which is what that's all about. It's a matter of the heart. That will be the thing that most of all will be of benefit to you. And that's why I want to explore this with you today. Let's uh, take a look at uh, Mark chapter 12 and uh, beginning at verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury and many who were rich put in much. That would be a little intimidating, wouldn't it? If we uh, passed the basket along this morning and, uh, and by the way, I want you to notice the offering's already been received and there won't be another one. We have all our bills paid and there's money in the bank so this is not an appeal for money. Whew, relax about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But what if we passed the basket this morning and Jesus was just watching? It would be a little intimidating, wouldn't it? Well, that's what's happening here. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites. A mite is, uh, well, a, a fifth of a penny. She's, she's throwing in two mites, still less than a penny. Which make a quadrants, that's another a Roman coin. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly I say to you that this poor widow has put more in than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So here's this woman. She makes her way up to the front, a poor woman. And she puts in... Almost nothing. And, she's, and, there's, and she follows all these people who have been pouring. You know, they back the forklift up or, or drive the forklift up, you know, with all their cash. And, you know, ab- out of their abundance they're giving. And Jesus is not impressed by that. And then this woman comes, throws in a couple of uh, coins that don't even equal a penny. He stops the show and says, hold the phone. This is what real giving is. There's a lot we can learn here that I want for us to try to, to uh, look at this morning, beginning with the fact that Jesus is uh, interested in our giving. Now, Jesus may not be following the, the offering baskets around when we, uh, you know, in, in physical form, but, but know this, Jesus is watching what we do, isn't he? He's aware of what we do. He knows not only what we do, but what, our, what the heart behind what we're doing is. He's interested in our giving, just like he parked himself right there in front of the treasury, watching what was going on. And he's interested in our giving in two ways and for three reasons. I want to talk to you about those. Two ways. He's interested in our giving out for support of spiritual ministry. Contrary to uh, what some uh, preachers have to say, God does not need our money. The Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He's doing all right. He's able to finance his will. Don't you worry about that. But he's interested in us being a part of supporting spiritual ministry. And number two, offering material aid to those in need. Throughout the scriptures, you see God calling his people to give, for those two reasons, support of spiritual ministry and, and uh, material aid to those who are in need. 
He's also interested in our giving for three reasons. Number one, because it positions us in faith. When I write that tithe check every, every month, and by the way, I, do, I write a check because I want to make sure that I, I feel the pain. <laughs> not that it would be wrong to have some sort of automatic giving or anything like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I, for me, I, I need to put the pen to the paper. But anyway, when I do... I am making, I am, I am expressing faith. Lord, I, I don't know where this is, I don't, I don't know the, where, where all of our needs are going to be met, but I know this belongs to you and I trust you that you're going to take care of us. It's an expression of faith. And the Bible says in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible to please God. Number two, there's three reasons why Jesus is interested in our giving. Number two, it provides a means of partnership with him. Can you imagine? God does not, look, God does not need us. He made everything that there is without any of our help. He does not need us. But he has welcomed us. He's invited us in to be partners with him. One time when I was uh, on a sabbatical uh, in my, my ministry, I took a job with a construction company, a little small firm. And they were developing a little cul-de-sac. I mean, I don't know, maybe six, seven houses. And I went to work for them as a laborer. So my job was to lug lumber around and pick up scraps and stuff like that. Every once in a while they'd give me a hammer and let me swing it. But I'd do more damage than good. And so, you know, that usually didn't last very long. But let me tell you something. Even though I had no, you know, real contribution to make to the building of those homes, when they were up and people had moved into them, I brought every person I knew and some people I didn't know by there to see what I had a part in making. (laughs) God has extended us this incredible opportunity to be partners with him and what he is doing around the world. And one of those ways is by our giving. Not the only way by any means, but one of those ways. And it's important. The third thing is that it loosens our grip on materialism. And boy, we, we live in a culture that is so materialistic. It's just really hard to escape it. And the thing is, materialism gets its grip on us more than we know. And so when I say, you know, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not going to live in the grip of got to have. I I have a drawer of of stuff at home full of stuff I had to have. And now I can't even tell you what's in that drawer. Stuff I had. We have this, this continual pressure that we have to have. When we moved into the house that Sue and I bought here in, um, in Vallejo when we took the church several years ago, it was already pre-wired for a, uh, a surround sound system in the den. And the fact that there were places where speakers should go and there weren't any yet just bugged me. <laughs> just bothered me. And I did everything I could to convince my wife how important it would be to actually stick speakers in there. It's already wired. Just imagine what that would be like. And Anyway, so we went to the Fairfield Mall one day and she went into Macy's, a dangerous place for a woman to go. (laughs) And I went next door to Best Buy, a dangerous place for a man to go. 
And I went in there and I told myself, I got to buy some blank DVDs. And so I'm making my way through the store. I'm not going to look at anything else. I'm not going to look at anything else. And then a sale caught my eye. <laughs> Beyond it being a sale, it, there was an open box discount on this one. And you start to tell yourself, I have to have, I can't, I cannot pass this by. I have to have this, right? Oh my gosh. And I started to feel that thing. I, I have to do this. And I just, you know, I'm not always as successful as I was that day in escaping. But I realized I don't want anything to hold me like that. And I remember saying, I don't know if I, I can't, I'm not sure it was out loud. It might have been because it was a, an act of desperation on my part. But I know I thought it, if I didn't say it out loud, I thought, I don't need you. And then I turned around and ran out of there as fast as I could go because the grip of this stuff is tough. But when I give to God, it, it breaks that hold. It loosens that grip on me. And God is interested in you and I being free from everything that would try to hold us to this world and its thinking because in Matthew 6, 24, dear ones, it says we cannot serve God and mammon. And that word is, unless you, I don't want you to get confused with mammogram or something like that. <laughs> mammon has to do with wealth and material stuff. Jesus said, Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and mammon. You've got to choose. We, you know, but I find myself, perhaps some of you are like me, I find myself trying to find that middle ground. It does not exist. And giving, giving God what belongs to him helps to break me free from that, that thing. So we've talked about how Jesus is interested in our giving. We saw that in this passage that we read. But we also see in this passage another thing, that, that uh, how we give matters. How we give matters. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, that God loves a cheerful giver, joyful giving. This woman who came and brought her two mites to put in the offering was not under compulsion to do so. She did not come there because somebody guilted her into it. My pastor, uh, his name is Ralph Moore, he used to tell me, he used to say to us when we, you know, when I was part of his church. He, he would say, you know, if, when the offering was being received, he said, if you, guys, if you can't give joyfully, keep it. Go buy yourself a burger after the service because it doesn't count. It doesn't count. God is not interested in us doing anything ever out of just a sense of guilt or com being compelled to. It's always about... Uh, the, the heart. And I've already said that once this morning and it won't be the last time I say it. All of this is always about the heart. So he, this woman came, not only was she not compelled to do so, she probably uh, raised some eyebrows in doing so because the thought is, well, what does she do? I mean, that's all she has. Why would she do that? Now she's even more dependent upon, you know, the kindness and goodness of strangers. So against all of that, out of something in her own heart of desire towards God, she gave. People who had gone before her, 
they came and made a show. They were trying to impress both God. <laughs> Isn't it pathetic that we think we could, could, we could impress God? Now, I've done that. I've done that. I said, God, you know how, mu- you know how much this is costing me. The, the, the one who gave everything for me, I'm going to impress him with my few dollars? No, no. And sometimes people do what they do to impress others. You know, I, I know people that when they, when they give, uh, I, I've had this happen, not a, not a lot, thank goodness, but I have had people who have wanted to make a contribution to, not this church, but others that I've pastored, and they want some sort of kickback for it. They want a plaque on the wall, something to memorialize it. And look, it's a pointless thing, and it cancels out all that is involved in what God intends for giving. We don't do it to impress. And First Timothy chapter 6, it tells us that our giving is not a means to an end. It's not a means to gain, it says. And there are a lot of people who feel like when they give or they do anything of spiritual activity that it is for something. It gains them, you know, um, God's favor or God's blessing. It's for something. And many preachers uh, couch this whole subject of tithing and giving with, with this sort of bait deal where if you give to God, he'll give to you. And that's true, and I'm going to talk to you about that a little bit today. But that's not why we give. That's not why we give. We don't give to gain. In fact, in that same passage in 1 Timothy, it says that godliness, doing what God says, is itself gain. That's gain. How we matter or how we give matters. We need to give joyfully, not to impress, not as a means. We're to give, the Bible says, with first fruits. In uh, Exodus chapter 23, the first part of verse 19, if you want to take that down, talks about giving God the first fruits. In other words, not the leftovers. You know, I used to, early in my Christian life, once I got, you know, past the idea. Look, I'll just be honest with you. I was a, a young pastor and I, and I thought, this is how I thought about it. Well, I'm already sacrificing so much. I don't need to give God any money. He already knows how, you know, I don't make any money at, you know, doing this and blah, blah, blah. And you can, you can create, we can convince ourselves of almost anything we want to. We can excuse ourselves from anything. But listen, how weird is it when you find yourself excusing yourself from giving. Oh, I, well, I, I, I can't give that much. Remember, we're talking about the God who gave us everything and anything that we have has come from him anyway. So when you start to hear yourself having this conversation, well, I, I can't give that much. <laughs> it's time to give more. <laughs> it's time to give more. You know, it's funny because sometimes people will say, well, I make so much. How could I give 10% of what I make? That's a lot of money. I make too much money to give 10%. But then there's the, then there's the other people who say, I don't make enough money to give 10%. <laughs> I mean, it's just weird. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But I 
early when my when I started to get over that thing and realized I needed to I needed to start giving to God. I gave here's my deal. I said, "Well, God, if you'll meet all of our needs, I'll give you what's left over." God says, "Give me the first fruit." I had a friend named Rick Trimble. He was uh, some of you know him. He's a pastor now in in uh, Benicia. Uh, and he uh, he was in the refrigeration heating and air conditioning and refrigeration trade had his own business and he never knew how much he was going to make in a year it all depended on you know what kind of business he brought in and uh, so what he would do is rather than give God he, he just didn't want to be in the situation of giving God the leftovers and so what he did at the beginning of every year he would he would decide how much he was going to need to bring in through his business to meet the needs of his family. And based on that projection, at the beginning of the year, he would give God 10% of that. And that's, that's giving God, that's just one way of giving God the first fruits, not the leftovers. Finally, we give sacrificially. This is a woman who gave everything that she had. Everything. Let's talk a little bit about the vocabulary of giving. The word tithe just simply means 10%. 10%. And under the Mosaic Law, this was a specific obligation. When I say Mosaic Law, I'm talking about the Ten Commandments and what followed that. The law that God gave the people of Israel through Moses. It was a specific uh, obligation. And in Le- Leviticus 27 verse 30 it says the tithe or 10% of your income belongs to God. It's his. Not to mention that everything we have comes from him but that's what it says. It's something that belongs to God. And in Malachi 3 verse 10 it says that it belongs in the storehouse. That place where you uh, are invested spiritually. And, and uh, you know you can decide what you want about that but to me that that has always spoken of the local church, the place where my, that's my spiritual storehouse. And that's where that goes. That's where that belongs. It was also a benchmark beyond the Mosaic Law. And here's the, because we, we don't live under the Mosaic Law. And we are New Testament believers. And, I, and I, I love the way that people will look for any excuse to get out of giving to God. And I hear Christians say, well, I'm not under the law. I'm a New Testament believer. Tithing doesn't have to do so, which, which translates into I don't have to give God that much. Does that make sense? If anything, we ought to be those who are living in the freedom that comes from Christ who has paid the, the, for everything having to do with the Mosaic Law. It ought to be that we give him everything. That we are his completely. Uh, but it is still a benchmark. And listen to me. The 10% is still a benchmark because it was modeled before the law was given by Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. And when Jesus had the opportunity to upend it, he, did, he chose not to. In Matthew 23 verse 23, Jesus was dealing with the scribes and Pharisees. He says, you guys are so careful about this tithing thing. You tithe out of the herbs and spices in your kitchen cabinets. He says, and at the same time, you let all the weighty matters, everything that really counts, left, left undone. Then he said this, he says, you should not have abandoned the practice of tithing, but focus on the things that really matter. He had an opportunity to undo it, to turn it upside down, and he didn't. He chose not to, so it still remains as a benchmark. The second 
a word that I want to just give a little bit of attention to in terms of definition is the word offering. What we mean by that? Because sometimes we use those words sort of interchangeably. An offering, in terms of what the Bible has to say, is beyond the tithe. It's beyond your regular practice of giving. Now I want to talk to you about a couple of questions that come up whenever we talk about tithing. Uh, first of all, because uh, these are the questions I asked. Net or gross? And can I tell you that it's a, it doesn't matter? It's a non-issue? Just start somewhere. Start somewhere. I remember the day that I decided, you know what, this is, whoa, this is a tough one, but I'm going to, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step into this thing and trust God. And I, I wrote that first check for 10% of my net income. Yikes. And I, and I said, God, I have no idea how we're going to make it. We're not making it as it is. But I've tr I decide here and now to trust you with that and to give you what the Bible says is yours. And so I did that. And you know what? It was very tough Every week or month, I can't remember how often we, you know, how we got paid in those days, but I, every time I wrote that check, it was really tough until it started to be not so tough because the blessing of God is, is rebounded to us. And pretty soon, I'd write that check without even thinking anymore. God had blessed us and taken care of us, and it was just, it, it, I didn't feel it anymore. And then I started to hear the Lord say, Gross. Really, God? Really, God? Gross? Come on. I wrote that first check for the gross of my, 10% of the gross of my income. And, and I, I thought, you know, this is, this is lunacy. But, but God met me. He met us. And he's been faithful to us. He's been faithful to us. And you got to, I got to the point where I started to write those checks without even thinking twice about it because God had blessed us. And I wasn't feeling it anymore. And then I heard the Lord say, benefits. What? <laughs> Do you know how much money that is? And so I started to write that check for my gross, 10% uh, of my gross, and then I started to write a check to, to missions for 10% of the value of our benefits. And I've... I have felt that one for quite a while. But you know what? Not so much anymore. Because God is faithful. He continues to bless. And I'm at that point now where I just find myself uh, listening for the ways that God would you know, say, I want you to give to this person or to that cause or whatever. These are offerings beyond my, my tithe. You know. So... Ties and offerings. What about spousal disagreement? Because look, if you're married, sometimes you're both not on the same page about this. And I just want to say, do not, do not, do not allow this to become a marital problem. Just focus on your own heart and your own attitude and whatever resources you have control of. Trust the Lord with the rest. And now before we get out of here, let me close this out by talking about the reward. Look now at Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. 
Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. I really don't know of any other place in the scripture where God pleads for us to give him a shot. Try me. Bring the tithes into the storehouse and try me. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And he talks about three ways that God blesses us as we honor him with our resources. First, miraculous provision. Test me, he says, try me. If I won't open the windows of heaven, he's talking about miraculous provision where stuff flows to you that is just miraculous. Jobs, promotions, unexpected money. I have been so often the recipient of money just showing up in my mailbox that I have no idea where it would come from. I've had groceries left on my doorstep. I could go on and on and on about how God... I, there was one year that Sue and I made $1 a day. I recorded $360 yeah, of income for that entire year. And we made it through with every bill paid and never missed a meal. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. And then he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. All of us, we, have, we are subject to a devourer, our enemy, who wants to eat away at our life in any, in any form that he can. And so we, you know, all of us know what it's like. I, I have your car break down. And wait, it never breaks down at the right time, does it? <laughs> To have your washing machine go out. But you know what? We have a God in heaven who the Bible says for 40 years while the children of Israel walked through the wilderness, their shoes did not wear out. When was the last time you had a pair of shoes that lasted 40 years? When God says, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Trust him. Take him up on that. Put him to the test. He asks for you to do that. And then he says that he will uh, bless the fruit of our labors. He says that, um, uh, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. That means not only all of the stuff we've already talked about, but the things that you are laboring to produce. Watch how God blesses that. Your work, your employment, the things that... God will bless that. We have these incredible promises from God. 